And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey guys, it's Ari Wasserman here with Until Saturday. Just wanted to hop on and acknowledge that Michigan is working toward a four-game suspension of Jim Harbaugh and assistant Sharon Moore and Grant Newsom as part of a negotiated resolution of the NCAA's infraction case that we heard about uh, for the first time in January. Uh, The episode you're about to hear is with me and Nicole Auerbeck, and it's a Big Ten preview. We recorded that show before the Harbaugh news broke on Tuesday, so we won't be getting into it on the show. Uh, That said, I got together with Austin Meek on Tuesday, shortly after the news broke, and we filmed the 15-minute emergency podcast, the first of the Until Saturday feed about the matter, and you can find that in your feed. Um, So if you're looking for that, don't be caught off guard if you don't hear much about it uh, on the show that you're just about to listen to now. Also, the Northwestern players that were set to participate in media days starting on Wednesday released a statement Tuesday afternoon that they would not be attending. Nobody from Northwestern, coaches, players, or administrators have spoken to the media outside of releasing statements since the hazing incident that led to coach Pat Fitzgerald losing his job came to be a few weeks ago. Again, we recorded this Tuesday morning, so if you hear any reference to the Northwestern players being in Indianapolis, now you know why. Uh, Thanks so much uh, for your continued support of Until Saturday. Uh, and enjoy the Big Ten Preview Show with me and Nicole Auerbeck now. Welcome to Until Saturday, the Athletics College Football Podcast. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That way, new episodes reach you as soon as they're released. If you could also drop us a five-star review, we'd greatly appreciate it. You can also check out Until Saturday on YouTube. Just hit subscribe so you know when new videos are published. Ari, I am so excited to be podcasting with you again. I'm Nicole Auerbach. He's Ari Wasserman. And the feed is live. We are back. We are talking college football and we are ramping up as the season gets closer. But it is just wonderful to see your beautiful face. I know. Likewise, Nicole. And we're going to be seeing a lot of each other this year. So I'm excited. And I think we're getting into the first topic, which is like your wheelhouse, which means you're going to cook today, right? Oh, yeah. But also you're you're enjoying this, too, because you're just like in the passenger seat because I'll, I'll uh-huh. drive the show. I'll bring you along. I'll set you up for your takes. Um, and we are going to be talking Big Ten. And we are publishing this as Big Ten Media Days get underway. So if you listen to this after they've already started, maybe they've already answered some of our questions. But this is what we are thinking heading in to Big Ten Media Days late July 2023. Uh, I want to start, Ari, with just what we want to learn there there's always a limit on what you can learn at an actual media days. Everyone is very formal. Everyone's at a podium. No one wants to make major, major headlines unless you're Brett Yormark on day one on the job. But I want to hear from you. What is the, what is the number? (laughs) That's true too. What is the number one thing you would like to learn this week? Yeah. I mean, I guess like, I don't know if I'm more like just a casual fan But there are so many things as it pertains to, like, the future of the conference with a new commissioner and, you know, expansion discussion and television contracts and long-term views of, like, where the conference is heading that I think a lot of people are interested in. Is it bad that – 
I just like want to talk about football and that's like what I care about. And I am coming into this podcast wondering, and I don't know if we're going to find out the answer uh, in a conference room. We're probably going to find it out on the field, but is it fair to say that we can set the tone for our big 10 preview by saying that the conference or one side of this conference has three of the best six teams in college football this year? I think you can make that case. And we were like the the mind meld is already happening. We haven't podcasted together in like a month and yet we're already there because I put in our planning doc. I, I copy and pasted our, our Heisman draft, which, by the way, like is always very wrong. It's always very embarrassing to look back at the end of the year because we always miss breakout players. But it is a really good time capsule of the preseason uh, of how we're feeling about different teams and individual talents and we did this draft with all of our national writers. We did four rounds. Of the first two rounds of the draft, there were five Big Ten players drafted. So to me, that goes with what you're saying about the expectations, but also the talent level of these teams. And and if you look at who was drafted, you know, it's it's obviously it's Martin Marvin Harrison Jr., it's Drew Aller. Um, you know, you've got Blake Corum, you've got JJ McCarthy, Kyle McCord. So it is the players on the teams that you're talking about. But I think that speaks to the talent and the expectations on all three of those teams. Well, the thing too that stands out to me even more so than the depth, because I think it was nine total in the entire draft, Nicole, is this sport is a quarterback driven sport. And the quarterback of each of those three teams in the Big Ten East, Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan was taken in the top two rounds of our of our draft. And this wasn't a very expansive draft. How many people? I mean, was it 40? six people? Uh, 40, so 40 picks total. I 40 think. picks total. And we're talking about three quarterbacks taken in the first, you know, 10. Um, that, to me, is a incredible statement for what the conference is. And let me ask you this, and I can't remember off the top of my head, um, but when's the last time? And I, and I know that Kyle McCord... And Drew Aller have a way to go before their bona fide NFL picks. But when's the last time the conference had three bona fide NFL draft pick quarterbacks leading the way for very good football teams? Like, I think that even when Penn State's been good, you know, they've had guys like Trace McSorley, who has, you know, kind of caught on in the NFL and, and, and kept a roster spot. And, you know, obviously Michigan has Tom Brady and all those things from a while back. But like, when's the last time we had three concurrent quarterback stars in that conference? Well, if you think back to about the early Jim Harbaugh years, like the question was the quarterback, right? He was supposed to be this quarterback whisperer. He was taking, you know, maybe it was a grad transfer here or there. And it just wasn't to the level that I think people expect J.J. McCarthy to, to be. And obviously that's why he went with him over Cade McNamara last year. Cade is also still in the league um, and could be a boost for Iowa. I know we're going to get into a little bit of the West preview as well. Big picture heading into media days. Uh, I am more interested in in Tony Petiti and in that message about where this conference is going. I think he's going to be asked about future expansion. He's going to be asked about you know the media deal because this is going to be the first year with NBC as a partner. I've gotten so many emails from them and CBS. They're like really sending their cavalry. They they want it to be known that they are investing in this conference and getting to know everyone. I think the biggest headline news out of media days is going to be about Northwestern. We're going to get mm -hmm. into that a little bit later in the show, but no one has had a press conference yet. It's been multiple weeks of this storyline. Obviously it broke over a weekend in July, I assume by design a Friday news dump, but you have not had 
the president, Michael Schill, you've not had the athletic director, Derek Gragg. You've had no one at a podium answering questions. We've had statements and that's it. Uh, David Braun, the interim head coach, will be there. There will be players there. There will be a lot of focus on that. So that will also take away from the football, which again, mm-hmm. to your point, is going to be at a very high level this season. So for in terms of media day storylines, some Northwestern questions and answers, Tony Petiti talking about things. I mean, I'm sure he'll even opine on, you know, NIL legislation. Uh, I, you know, hope or optimism related to a federal bill. There will be all those topics. We will get into them and cover them at the athletic. But let's let's go to the football. Let's let's talk about exactly what you were alluding to about the big three. And let's talk about the East. We are going to uh, have a couple different layers to this conversation, but I do want to talk a little bit about the very, very top. And and so these are the questions about Michigan and Ohio State. You know, can Michigan beat Ohio State for a third year in a row? Does Michigan have any weaknesses? Who do you want to be quarterback at Ohio State? Who gives them a higher ceiling? What happens to Ryan Day if he loses to Michigan for a third straight year? So big picture, Ari, which team do you think is the actual favorite to win the Big Ten? Like, who would you put atop that Big Three? Well, I don't know if you're ready for some dragon breath seven minutes into this thing here. I am always ready. This is my number one Big Ten take, and I want to know if you can get on board with this. I think that Michigan is and should be the favorite to win the conference this year. And if I had to guess right now, in July before watching any of these teams play that Michigan's the best team in the big 10. Um, they've earned that. I think that it's possible that this is the best iteration of them um, of from the past three years. And, you know, the discussion of, is this a legitimate national championship contender? I think is warranted. Here's my take. Are you ready? I think that even though Michigan is more likely or my pick to win the big 10, that I still think that it would be more likely for Ohio State to win a national championship. I think that Ohio State is more built that way, and we got a nice little sense of what that what I mean when they played Georgia last year, to go toe-to-toe with the big dogs of the sport on in an indoor field in a playoff setting. Um, I think Ohio State is more proven to be built that way. Now, will we learn something new? From Michigan, like if J.J. McCarthy turns out to be a top five pick this year, which I think is in the cards potentially, um, or what we see from Michigan from the top line talent and some of their playmakers, uh, their lines are incredible. Um, they had a lot of transfer help come in. You know, maybe I'll change my mind on that. But from a pure two four seven sport composite ranking team talent ranking standpoint, Ohio State is more closely built and resembling the teams that they're going to have to face on that stage as they were a year ago. And obviously, we're closer to winning a national championship last year than Michigan was, despite the fact that they lost them. So I know it's a lot to unpack because it's like, how can you pick Michigan to win, uh, but Ohio State to be a more likely national champion of the two? My answer to that question is just the way it played out last year. You know, I think Ohio State could lose to Michigan. I think there's a very good chance, a potential <laughs> of three 11 and one teams at the end of the year in the Big Ten East. And if that happens, banana land, right? Um, but I just want to show Michigan the respect that they deserve um, by being the favorite and what they've done to Ohio State, not just beating them the last two years, but beating the crap out of them, um, while also being realistic about where I think these teams stack up on a national scale. I don't really think this is that hot a take, to be honest. Okay. I don't mean well, I to. People, I don't mean people to. Can't, I don't mean to interrupt you, but people cannot 
reconcile the idea that if you pick Michigan to beat Ohio State or you pick them to win the Big Ten, then how could a team that you're saying they will beat be more yep. likely to win but, a national but, 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 championship? Styles make fights, right? Like we see this in the basketball tournament all the different time, right? Like, you know, we've had this conversation about like Purdue and Virginia. They can win regular season titles. They can dominate their leagues. They can even win big non-conference games. But the tournament is mm-hmm. somewhere where like certain styles of play struggle. And I think that if you think about it, the way that Michigan plays and the way that they have almost stubbornly stuck to it. Like we know that Jim Harbaugh is very comfortable just running the ball and controlling a game that way. Right. And we've asked that question before they beat Ohio state the first time, then before they beat Ohio state the second time, like, can that beat Ohio state? Can it beat a roster like that? Can it beat talent like the Buckeyes have? Mm -hmm. And it can, Mm -hmm. but, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it can beat the teams that you play in the playoff. And again, that TCU loss is really inexplicable. Like that is a, it shouldn't have happened. And I think if you, prepare or start the game differently or make some different calls. Like it doesn't go that way. And there was like, one that touchdown was, that was overturned. That was a score. Like, yeah, there were some right. things that like, happened. There were yeah. some th- that was a weird game and not excusing. Like th- that's what I'm saying. Like that was not an excusable loss. But my point is that normal playoff teams, the Georgias, the Alabamas, you're right. They're going to run into the, some of those style issues. What I will say though, is I think, this is the question for Ohio State. It is about J.J. McCarthy and their arm and all of those things we talked about a lot last season because he would have those moments, he would have those big plays, we would see the arm, but then they would kind of revert back to not airing it out, not really stretching the field vertically, and it didn't hurt them until it hurt them at the end of the season. So you need to see that growth there. But I always think about, when I think about what you're describing about you know, again, like what it takes to win the Big Ten versus what it might take to win a national championship is something James Franklin was talking about after losing to Michigan was saying that like their defensive line, like they had been recruiting and building to match and beat Ohio State. Mm -hmm. And then what Michigan was doing was just they were overbearing. Like they were just they were so big and so physical at the line that they were like recruiting the wrong type of player to beat Michigan. Like it was such a different approach and different body. And so I think about that too. Like, can you do it the way that Michigan really wants to do it, which is kind of melding, right? Like some of the pro style or some of the like, you know, just big dudes up front, we're going to run the ball. And they have two really special running backs who they can use to play off each other and do different things. But can you also do that and then have the bodies and the skill type and the talent and the agility and all those other skill sets, everything that you're mentioning from the 24-7 composite to then match up with a Georgia and an Alabama well, too? This is this is really going to be hard to keep to an hour because I could talk about this topic for an hour. I'm going to keep um, us on, on track. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I want to I make this point, though. I think that what you just said was really astute. I think that Michigan is built to beat Ohio State. And Ohio State is built to beat Georgia and Alabama or to play with those teams. And those both can be true. Now, the there's a lot to unpack here because if you're Ohio State and your rival is meant to beat you and you keep losing, it doesn't really matter how well you, you're equipped to beat Georgia and Alabama because nine times out of ten, if you lose to Michigan, you're not going to get that second opportunity the way that they did last year. Well, and for, of for course, one, losing for to the rival. Year, for one more year yes, because the playoffs yes. expanding next year. And, you know, I still can't in my head, like, I still need to catch up to that. Like, it has. I know, it's happening. It's happening it, soon. It, like, to me, it's like, I forgot that, it, you know, 
well, unfortunately. But, but, we're gonna, but where you're going on this is what does it mean for Ryan Day, though, right? Like, what does it right. mean if you the one team you measure it. yourself against yes. beats you? And, and the thing that's interesting is I don't know. I mean, if Ohio State would have knocked through that kick against Georgia last year, beaten Georgia and won the national title, how Ryan Day's seat would be the temperature of that. Like, obviously, if you win a national championship, everything else is secondary, but there's a large portion of Ohio State's fan base that doesn't believe that. So if you have a Michigan problem, you have a a head coaching problem at Ohio State. There's no question about that. Um, But on the other hand, when you ask about Michigan and what they can do to be built to beat those teams in indoor fields the way that you have to to win a national championship, isn't Georgia just a superpower or a supercharged version of Michigan yes. where they have incredible uh, offensive and defensive lines, but then also have like 17 nine, uh, five star prospects at every skill position on the offensive side of the ball and then yes. great defensive back? Like Michigan's done an impeccable job developing. And I'm not trying to say that they're not a good team um, or they're not a great team even, but there is a freak element to this that Michigan can't compete with or hasn't been able to up until this point. And the only people that can compete with freaks are other freaks, which is Marvin Harrison Jr. last year, who's probably going to be the best player in college football this year, getting open on every play against uh, you know Georgia's secondary, despite the fact they had more draft picks on their team than most of the Big Ten combined. So I think that there is a second level where Michigan can maintain what it's doing from a building standpoint, but I think that there is a certain level of ceiling that they're going to reach unless Jim Harbaugh really turns it on and starts landing five-star prospects, like five-star corners a lot, and five-star safeties, and receivers. Obviously, running back isn't an issue for them. But the skill position players on both sides of the ball, that's where the difference is. Because, you know, Ohio State has a problem with lines, right? (laughs) They got beaten up pretty good uh, on both sides of the ball from a bully standpoint against Michigan the last two years. But when it lines up against Georgia, it has the freaks to do it. So does Michigan have enough freaks, I think, is a good way to frame it. They've got enough. They've got a good enough team to win the Big Ten, and even a good enough team to beat Ohio State at home and on the road last two years. But at home this year, um, but can they? Do they have enough freaks to win a national championship? I have a hard time with that. And I think too, and we're going to move on to Penn State in just a second. But I think that that the freaks, the style of play, everything is interconnected, and I do think Georgia is a really good comp for that because Georgia does do it at a higher level. And and Michigan has identified a Georgia problem, right? As if looking for somewhere yeah. where you're falling short, it's against a team like Georgia that does what you do just a little bit better with better uh, talent with, as you're saying, freakish players, all of that comes together. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So I want to switch gears over to Penn State. Um, We are very high on them. We're talking about a big three. We're not talking about a big two. There's been a ton of buzz around this team as one of the dark horse playoff teams. I have been hyping them just as much as I've been hyping up Florida State as a team that took a big step forward and then returns everybody. Like, their core is so young. We saw the running backs. You saw positions all across the field. And now Drew Aller is taking over as quarterback. What is separating from what is separating Penn State from being a playoff team? Is it quarterback? Is it going to be Drew Aller? Or, in my opinion, it's also James Franklin, some of his play calling in big games, his record mm-hmm. in big games, I think could be a, a, a determining factor. But what do you think would be the difference between a great season for Penn State like they had last year and actually being a playoff contender? Did Penn State lose to Ohio State and Michigan last year? Yes. I knew the answer to that question. What is it going to be? Or what has to happen in state college for them to get one of those? That's, to me, the number one thing. And I I wonder if quarterback play is the difference there. Maybe it is. You know, and and like I said, like Trace McSorley and guys like that over the years, Penn State's had some sneaky good college players. But do they need a bona fide NFL draft pick, the likes of which we haven't seen since first year Christian Hackenberg, to really get them over the hump? Because the one thing that I think is interesting is that Penn State plays Ohio State very tough uh, every single year. I mean, I think they beat the spread every year no matter what it is. Um, but they can't get over the hump. And even the one time they did win in 16, they they lost a non-conference game. So, like, in order for Penn State to win the Big Ten or to get to the college football playoff in the four-team iteration of it, they not only have to go one-and-one against Ohio State and Michigan, they also can't play grab-ass with some of the other teams in the conference. Um, And they can't drop games because, you know, Penn State's been kind of prone at times to clunkers. So, you know, I think that they have um, some – Really good offensive skill talent. I mean, if you go look at Nicholas Singleton and Dante Cephas um, at receiver and, and running back, you know, that's a pretty good one-two punch if Drew Aller takes a step forward. Obviously, their defense has got a lot of dudes on there that can make some plays. I think they're returning a large portion of, of what they had last year. Um, is this a team that can actually beat Michigan or Ohio State once? Because, you know, last year you, you said that they had a, a great season, and I know they won the Rose Bowl and did what they did, but, like, our Penn State – fans satisfied with losing both of those games every year. And if they're ever going to do it, if they're ever going to break through and get to the playoff in the 14 field, they were so close in 16. Can they actually win one of those two games and then not screw off a game that they shouldn't lose or shouldn't, they shouldn't lose to a team that isn't as good as them. I, I, I understand, but I, I do think they had a great season. I get that there was all of that, 
fan push and say, you know, put Drew Aller in, right? Like, let's go to the future. Um, but I also understand why James Franklin stuck with Sean Clifford. And again, I, I think the Rose Bowl, what we have seen from the Rose Bowl in an era where it's when it's not a CFP game, people have opted out. It's not been as big a deal. It has been a launching pad. Like it has been a game that still validates something. And I think for Penn State to win the game, to win the game the way that they did, the flashes that you saw from the freshmen in that game. Plus, again, it's 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 noteworthy that James Franklin beat a top 10 team. So this is what I believe the record is right now. I believe his personal record against top 10 teams is 3-20. and 20. And that's including the Utah game. It's not good. And oh, my God. That's worse this, than I thought it was. It's, again, to your point, you're playing Michigan. You're playing Ohio State. You're playing these teams very regularly. And that has been a problem. We talk about this every single time they come out of one of those games about the gap that they need to close. I also think going back to what we were just talking about, if you're shooting for Ohio state and then Michigan comes up and they're building and they're different, they're more physical. They're just kind of like pounding the ball more. It's two different things. Yeah. It's, it becomes harder too. I am so curious to see how they play these games this year for all the reasons we have outlined, but I do think that's why obviously there's more hype around Florida State. They don't have divisions in the ACC this year. The path is clear for FSU to get to an ACC title game. You also don't have two teams like Michigan and Ohio State in the ACC. Like Clemson's been down. They haven't been in the playoff the last two years. So there's opportunity there that Penn State has been blocked. And this was the Michigan problem too when they were losing to Ohio State every year. You get blocked. You get blocked from the Big Ten Championship game, which blocks you from the playoff. And that's what's really hard about any of these teams in the East, especially in this last year of a four-team CFP. So I think it comes down to those big games, which I know is not you know earth-shattering information. But I'm super fascinated to see Drew Aller. I'm, I'm super excited to see the, the young talent at so many different places for Penn State because, as you know, they recruit well. But then they have these clunkers. They have these games or they don't live up to the expectations. But this year, it's all aligning. Like, yes, should. And I'm looking at their schedule right now. West Virginia, Saturday, September 2nd, their opener. Then Delaware at Illinois, Iowa at Northwestern and then UMass. And that gets them to almost the end of October. And I think that Iowa game, luckily, is at home. But that's just going to be a gross Big Ten game, probably, because that's the way that Iowa plays. But if they can get to uh, what's that? Six and oh. Uh, going into October 21st at Ohio State, um, I think that it's good that they actually have some time to build and gel. Um, but 3-20 and 20, uh, against top 10 teams is a really rough look. Now, the thing that I think is ironic about Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan here is that I think there's a really good chance going into the year that you could pencil in two of these teams for the, for the college football playoff. Um, but, like, they are going to have to root for each other on a national scale to a certain extent. Like when Ohio State plays Notre Dame, like I'm sure Penn State would love to see Ohio State lose just because they don't like Ohio State. But you want to get rid of every single team from other conferences and divisions and whatever independence that you can to clear the way. Because last year set up perfectly where they had to find two uh, teams to fill out the last four in the or the last two spots in the four team field of the college football playoff. Um, you want it to be as cleared out as possible at the end of the year. Um, but yes, like I. So you know this about me. I always buy into Texas, okay? And it's a disease. It's a sickness. I got to go see a therapist about it. Um, And the number one pushback I've had with Texas is, well, look at Sark. He's never won 10 games in his entire career. And it's been a 10-year sample, right? 
Can you apply that same logic and just go, I don't know if James Franklin has it? Because that, to me, is the scariest thing about this. And it's not too long ago before he got his God contract and a large portion of the Penn State fan base was ready for a change. And I know that last year you think that uh, the it was a good year, and, and it was. They, they won the Rose Bowl. They beat a top-10 team. But how many years of losing to Ohio State and Michigan can Penn State stomach before just not good enough anymore, regardless of what happens the rest of the year? No, and, and I agree with you, and I understand that for sure. Um, I mean, I do think we were all a little surprised, right? Like, it felt like maybe that year where he did sign that extension was a year that was, like, a good, like, breakup point, right? Yes. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, Not 10 years reason, of like, guaranteed money, yeah. Every time USC would open, it'd be like, you know, that could be a spot. But understanding all of that, um, I still am interested to see how this all shakes down. And again, some of that has been, you know, they have been the underdogs in those games. Some of it's been questionable play calling. Like, some of it's been decisions that James Franklin himself has made. Like, mm-hmm. there have been a lot of different reasons. There have been a lot of head scratchers with that guy sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. So we'll see what happens there. I do want to switch over to the West, though, before we get to Northwestern conversation. So let's leave Northwestern out of this. And you know now. that before this podcast is over, I'm going to put you on the spot for expansion like predictions, too. I'm just well, going to ask we, you. We might, we might run out of time. Although I We're did, not you did already get in Texas reference into the <laughs> Big Ten Media Days preview podcast. So uh, I like how Cam, who's like doing like our little like, you know, graphics or whatever, he like immediately took down all the Big Ten ones because you started talking about Texas. Well, like, no, I, I, I didn't talk about Texas. I thought it was a good comparison to Franklin because, no, you know, no. it's been so long since he's he's br- I mean, Nicole, we are getting old. I just had my 36th birthday. I don't know Happy how old birthday. you are, but I think that you and I are. Um, fairly close in age, at least by a few years. And like 2016, we're coming up on a decade <laughs> since yes. then. Like my days of covering Ohio State are like really, really far in the past now. You know, like it's like it was just like a few years ago, a while back. And now it's like five years ago. Um, And it just at a certain point, you just got to do it. And that's the thing with Penn State is, are you going to do it? And it was hard. They had a Michigan problem before Michigan was good. Yeah. Now Michigan's no. great, and they got to beat but one of them. I, I don't know. Okay, next no, topic. No, Sorry, no, those are no, they're all fair. They're all fair. Happy belated birthday. Thank let's you. talk about let's talk about the West. Um, who? So this is always a division. Like part of the reason I'm sad about the the divisions going away, which I'm overall very happy about, is like I do love how wide open the West tends to be. The conversations that you can have about it before the season starts, where everyone feels very close. You have Wisconsin overhauling everything. It's going to look like a very non-Wisconsin offense. It's going to look so different. You've got a lot of excitement around Matt Rule and what he's recruiting and building at Nebraska, but who knows what it's going to look like in year one. Iowa kept Brian Ferentz. We have the drive to 325. Who do you like out of the West and why? Well, the thing that's really, really difficult about predicting what's going to happen on the field in the West, Nicole, is that there's a lot to like. Um, from what these coaches should be building, but it's hard to predict how quickly the success is going to arrive. You know, like with Wisconsin, what's not to like about um, a team that, you know, has the nuts and bolts in place and getting a coach that took a group of five team uh, to the playoff, you know, with Nebraska, the number one thing about that place has always been dysfunction and they go and they hire a former NFL coach who has been nothing but functional at all of his college football stops, whether it be Temple or Baylor. Like, can you imagine a Nebraska team that is just inundated with a constant stream of competentness? Comp- what is that? Is that a word? Competence. 
is competence. The word. That is the word. <laughs> um, just a constant stream of competence. Like they aren't going to lose games because uh, their kick returner muffed a punt when he shouldn't have touched the ball. They're not going to lose games because of weird turnovers. They're not going to do onside kicks in the middle of the third quarter when they finally got all the momentum back in an opener against North western out in europe somewhere like it's just like they're not if they're not the butt of the joke anymore and you have a team that's actually a top 30 team in terms of the talent composite rankings and then you marry that with a coach that's just going to be straight competent does like is nebraska really good immediately and like also too how good is wisconsin going to be new transfer quarterback in new coach new offensive coordinator they've got you know, the talent, Braylon Allen, they're going to run the football. Like, is Luke Fickle going to turn that team into a really good team? Like, I don't, I think that of all the divisions in college football right now and in conferences, I think picking who's going to win the Big Ten West is the most difficult undertaking in the entire sport. Well, especially now that the ACC Coastal is no longer, but it, I agree. Gone, and yeah. and I think the the Wisconsin piece of this is, is the, the reason that that is, because you just don't know what it's going to look like. It's a little bit of a wild card because either it makes a huge splash, huge difference, and a totally new style of play that just is able to light it up. Phil Longo's offense just throwing the ball all around the field. And this is just an entirely different dimension for a Big Ten West team. Or it's going to take a little time for them to get to be mm -hmm. what they want to be and to get all of that installed and for it to work at the level that they're going to need to. So that's where it becomes a wild card. And we just don't know exactly what that's going to look like in year one. The Iowa question is fascinating because, yes, they've lost some of their talent. 29 minutes in, baby. Let's get into it. <laughs> let's get into it. I'll, I'll keep it. We'll, we'll, we'll contain it. They still are going to have a great defense. They always do. One of the best defenses in the country, even though they've lost some, some guys. Tory Taylor, my favorite punter. He is back. Special teams will be good. They have upgraded the talent level at some of the positions on offense, but it is still Brian Ferentz who is going to be running the show. So, you know, you've got Cade McNamara, Eric All. You've brought in different players, especially from within the Big Ten. But the question is, without a scheme change, without a coaching change, like, are they going to be more effective? And this is still a team, despite the offensive limit limitations, this program has won a lot of games over the last however many years. Do you think that they get to 325? It's not that high of a mark. You get defensive points. Just want them to run it up if they're ever in a position where they can run it up, just to drop 70 on some poor team. Like, I got to go look at their schedule. Um they have Utah State, I don't know, Western Michigan. If they if they have uh, the opportunity to just run it up, can they do it? Like, I understand they've got a better better quarterback, Cade McNamara, you know, out there. Um, I'm excited to see what the wide receiver transfer, Caleb Brown, will do um, if he gets a ton of targets this year. I know that what to expect from Iowa, and, like, it's ugly, disgusting football to watch on TV, but if you're a sicko, you love it, and it – actually equates to, to winning. I mean, they, they were off the worst offense I've ever seen in my entire life last year, and they still won, a, what, half their games? You know, I still think that they they could be, if they figure out, just have a pulse offensively, a team that figures into the Big Ten West race. And I'm going to do a podcast, and I don't know if you want to be my co-host for this or not later on, but, like, I want to savor this last year of football before it goes into banana land. Um, and... I do think that once the 
divisions in the Big Ten go away, that kind of stinks. Like I, I do, I would have loved to see Luke Fickle and Matt Rule and Iowa with a potentially new offensive coordinator all figure it out in the West and like actually, you know, have a chance to play in the Big Ten championship game. I think that the climb to playing in the Big Ten title games, if those still exist in ten years, um, is going to be a lot harder now that there's going to be no more divisions in the conference. So, um, you know, that said, between uh, competent Nebraska. New and improved Wisconsin and the steadiness of Iowa. You know, the Big Ten West has some programs over there that could have staying power. Um, and we're just not going to get to see that in the divisional uh, format anymore. So, uh, yes, I do think that we have to do the drive to three. Is it 325? Yes, on the show. We need a little graphic. It it's going to be like yeah, going Cam? across the screen. Yeah, we're, yeah. Not, oh, we're working on it. We're going yeah, to have something. Yeah. And like every time they score, like we have to add up their points every Saturday night. We're going to add it up. Like it just it's part of the deal here. And I I don't know. We spent more time talking about Iowa last year than most na like national championship contenders. Like we spent so much time on it. I think it irritated some people. I mean, I thought that they were. It was a fascinating like part of the reason that I love this sport is because it's weird because there's a lot of different avenues or like corners of it. And that was a weird corner. Of college football last and year, like I was mesmerized. Than the contract that he had, the the, the, right, the circumstances right. of this, that is the most bizarre contract you could ever think of. Like a certain number of points, or you're right. not there. Like that is like the most, you know, the thing that we love about sports and the thing we love about TV, I think, is stakes. Right? And what is higher stakes than accomplish this or you're fired? <laughs> like that, right? Is, and it, it's written in your contract. In your like it's contract. not just us like, saying, yeah. you know, here are hot takes. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so so quickly, let's just kind of hit on some of the other teams. You've got a okay. number of first-year coaches, right? So we've been talking a little bit about Wisconsin, Nebraska, Ryan Walters at Purdue. What's success for those first-year coaches? Who, um, for all three of them? Um, yeah, go, th that's go through real, each. Okay, Wisconsin, I'll let you do Purdue. That's a hard one. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, that's a really, really good question. And I want to I want to answer it, but I'm trying to think that I uh, that with Wisconsin in general, I don't know if it's always about wins and losses when you're in the first year. You know, like everybody will say, well, if, if Nebraska goes out and wins nine games this year, which I don't know, is that within the realm of possibility? I guess so. Um, but is that really what 
is going to be the litmus test of how good they are, or is it going to be recruiting wins and winning closer games more regularly and getting to a place where you're a tough out, where you play hard and you're not the laughing stock of the country because of something dumb that happened on the field. Like Nebraska, you know, plays at Colorado. I think they're going to win that game. They open at Minnesota. I think, I mean, they have a chance to go, I mean, with Purdue and Northwestern, you know, Illinois is going to be a much better team than we've come to know. I mean, I think eight wins is possible for Nebraska. And like, they're just like dying to get back to the Bo Pelini years right now. And then they'll go, they'll go from there. So like, I think a successful season for Nebraska is no boneheaded losses, um, playing hard, recruiting wins, um, and, you know, re-identifying the players in your region as, um, uh, the place to be, and then a competent season. Is that a, is that a cop out answer, or were you looking no, it's for not. a number? No, that's no. I think that's totally fine. I just think bowl eligibility would be a big win. Like we have gotten to the point where Nebraska has not and hasn't been close, and I think that that is such a low bar for that fan base and the tradition and the pride. But you have to start there, and and you need to do that, and that gets at what you're saying about not. It's it's self-inflicted wounds. Like how many painful, painful losses have we seen from Nebraska over the last five years? You Basically, can't even count them. just because in games that they shouldn't have lost. And right. I think that's where if you cut out a bunch of those, then you are bowl eligible. Then you're working on the, getting to that next level. And I think that's been the problem: is the losses to teams that you should not be losing to. They've been near losses to teams that they shouldn't have lost to. Like it's just been the, the, this, the bar has been so low and they haven't been able to clear it. And so I think it's clearing that bar. Um, and I think, I think, you know, again, we don't know the state of the roster until we see it in action against, you know, another power five team, let's say, but I think you will hopefully have a chance to be bowl eligible and, and go from there. I mean, people are talking about you and I've had this conversation. People are talking about Colorado, like, winning more than four games. I mean, if we're talking about that, then certainly Nebraska can win, you know, upwards of six games. I mean, you said eight. I don't, that seems really high. That's a big jump. But I mean, it's it's laying the foundation and it's getting rid of the self-inflicted wounds that have just totally defined this current era of Nebraska football. For, for Purdue, you're coming off a Big Ten title appearance, which is easy to forget right now because you lost your coach. I legitimately forgot went, about that. <laughs> because I'm he lost your coach, he went home. Uh, but you know, this is—I I think this is going to be a really interesting first season because Ryan Walters, you know, incredibly well regarded, uh, really great defensive mind, and it was so interesting that Purdue went defense because its best coaches have been offensive. But you bring in Graham Harrell. So what is that going mm-hmm. to look like? What does that mean for a first-time head coach to do that and kind of give the reins of an offense to a guy that we think of as as a really great offensive mind? How does that pair? How does that look? Uh, you know, th- this is a program that's had some great, great quarterbacks, going to have a new one to break in. Just very interested to see that dynamic. And I'm always fascinated with, like, first-time actual head coaches. So that's where they are. And then, you know, you do have – um, you know, some other programs that I don't think we have enough time to do like a full deep dive, but Ari, I do want to get your thoughts on like Michigan state, a lot of questions, more questions than answers. You had the exodus and the portal in the spring. You're already coming off a five win season. The, the shine has come off of, of Mel Tucker. What do you make of them as they start into the season, head into the season? It's going to be an unproven quarterback at the very least, even though we don't know who it's going to be yet. What, where are they? Okay, I'm going to get to them, but I'm going to backtrack and, and just 
do a few things that you said I'm going to respond to. One, is it possible that Jeff Sims is just awesome and then Nebraska go, beats Minnesota in week one and then Nebraska beats the crap out of Colorado on national television in week well, two and is 4-0 going into the Michigan game? Like that could happen, right? I think it's possible. I think it's more likely to beat Colorado than Minnesota, but sure, sure. Yeah, and w- listen – I'll be the last person on earth who's ever going to predict Nebraska, the old iteration of Nebraska to win an, a, a season opener. But I do think that if they beat the crap out of Colorado on national television, which I think is really on the table because people aren't really thinking about Colorado properly, I don't think, then you have something to feel good about um, going into uh, your season. I think that there's a chance that they could start 4-0 and just be super confident. Uh, confident and competent. Um, also, when, when we get to uh, Ryan Walters, I think that the notion of offensive and defensive head coaches, I mean, hold weight because, you know, obviously that's kind of the way they're going to view their program through that lens. But the fact that he hired Graham Harrell, who is just like, what's the first thing you think about when you hear that name? Just like, I think about like Texas tech, just throwing the ball all over the place. And, you know, I think that that to me, the actions are always more important than, um, you know, the words. And if you come into it with a sense of I'm a defensive guy, but I'm going to go get an offensive guy. I'm the CEO of the program. This offensive guy is going to run the show on offense. I'm going to worry about defense. Like I think that's a healthy uh, barometer of it. So I don't necessarily find that to be too concerning. And they've already gone into uh, Midland, Texas to go get their quarterback of the future. And they've done some things that, you know, I think are impressive Michigan state. Okay. Um, Definitely concerned. I'm, I'm, I am, uh, I wrote a column last year um, that was basically the premise of forced patience where I don't understand how some of these coaches are getting 10-year contracts to that are good enough to you know set up the lineage of their family for the next seven generations uh, without ever doing anything other than like an impressive first year that was better than people thought it would be. But then at the same time, too, I think that in order to build something the proper way in college football, Nicole, you have to be given time. You have to, even through the downs of it, we are so fire happy in this sport. Uh, coaches get two or three years sometimes to make stuff work. And, you know, we're already talking about Billy Napier and the hot seat if they stink again this year. It's like year two. Like, that's the way the sport works. And the fact that Michigan State has no choice but to keep him around for a long period of time, I think, gives them a higher likelihood of succeeding through these growing pains. That said... You know, his new recruiting strategy hasn't necessarily taken off. I know he's been good in the portal in the past, but, you know, I don't know how excited we are. I think that the the exits in the portal were more detrimental than the enter entrances like were to making them better. I think they're going to be a distant fourth or even fifth in their own side of the conference this year. And there's no momentum in that program whatsoever. Then you add into the fact that the one thing that you think about with Michigan State last year is a off-the-field incident where there was a brawl in the Michigan Tunnel, and it's like there's just not a whole lot to feel good about if you're a Spartans fan right now. And this is, what, year three of the contract? I think this is year four of – it's either year three or – yeah, year three or year two, but I think it's I year think it's three. two because, I mean, the contract was after the 21 is, season. Is this year four? Regardless, of Mel? Yes, it's yes. COVID. year four of 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 Mel, year two of the God contract. Um, and it's just like th- when you're building a program, I feel like you have to have something to grab onto if you're a fan. Well, we're not very good on the field right now, but he is recruiting 
at a higher level than we've ever recruited before. Or we're not doing really well in the field right now, but we have this young quarterback on the team that's going to be really awesome in two years. Like, I don't know what that thing is at Michigan State that you grab onto and go, we're going to be good in the future. Now, that doesn't mean that in year six or seven of this deal that he doesn't have it figured out. But as we go into this season, uh, you know, as we're heading into August, I don't look at Michigan State and feel excited about really anything. And that, I think, is concerning for a coach who's going to be there for another eight years um, and really at least guaranteed six years based on what his buyout would have to be if you wanted to move on from him. Right. I think that one of the things I keep coming back to is talk to enough coaches over the years who talk about not skipping steps and actually Tom Allen, I know, you know, Indiana is not in a great place right now and we, we probably don't have enough time to do like a full preview of them. But I remember Tom Allen telling me that, um, you know, there was, there was a step where like it would have been great to be bowl eligible, but they weren't. And instead of maybe skipping a step and, Maybe some of the things that they weren't, you know, like every single detail wasn't right or every little thing that they were doing wasn't exactly where it needed to be, but they would have had the results at the end of the day, the win-loss total, and it would have looked good, that it was better for them to not have that and to actually just like focus on all of the different steps. And I, I think so much of the way that we look at Michigan State is the contract. You know, it hangs like mm-hmm. an, al- an an albatross, right, around everything. And it's, you know, every loss, people calculate how much that cost, you know, Michigan State because of the contract and different things like that. But I also think you go through a season where you you are at the highest of highs, New Year's Six Bowl, everything goes right. You know, every every possible game and moment that could go right went right. And you are setting, not you're setting an expectation for the next year, but your fans think you're here. When really, you know, you're playing above your head or, you know, mm-hmm. everything was going right. And, and if you play Michigan 10 times that year, Michigan probably beats you nine. Right. But you, you got that one win. Or maybe not. Maybe that's not true. And that might not be fair because Kenneth Walker was very special and he did take over that game. But like, you know, if, if your expectation is above where you are in your build, that becomes really challenging because then all you can do is not live up to it. Well, the thing that's crazy is, is that probably predicated the contract to begin with. It did. So, so now you have you have this very tough dynamic, though, of you're not meeting expectations. You're being paid a lot of money because you had had this lightning in a bottle season, and it's about recapturing, rebuilding, and and or not rebuilding, but the build again. Um, And you did become known as the portal guy, and that you're you're hitting and you're plugging and playing. And now you lost, you, you know, you had the experience that so many other programs have had where you've lost key players to the mm-hmm. portal. That's what's really Was he their best player, Holman? I would say so, right? Probably. I mean, and also you just lost all of the experience at quarterback that you had, mm-hmm. even if, you know, he wasn't named the starter, whatever it is. I mean, it's going to be a huge drop off in terms of experience. So that's why this is such an inflection point and such an interesting time and season for Michigan State, we do need to move on. We're, we're going to be able to get. Well, into the one all of thing this. I wanted to say before we move on, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I think that how is Hauser starting this year? No, we don't know for sure. It could be Noah Kim. Okay, but it's probably going to be Hauser, right? I don't know. Uh, I, I don't my know? understanding is is like I said one thing that I wanted to say. I'm sorry about nothing to be excited about in the future. I think Hauser is going to be a stud. That was a pretty big recruiting win. He might be the quarterback this year. He might not. That I guess if you're looking at Michigan State of like. What are you excited to see this year? I'm excited to see how their quarterback battle uh, plays out and if they have a stud quarterback. Because if you had – can you imagine a world where he hits and is awesome? 
right in in that side of the conference um that that would be fun so I didn't I don't want it to rain on all Michigan State parade um you know I I know that it stinks when you're in this position as a fan but you know maybe we'll because I I do think that Mel Tucker gets it that's the thing that's interesting to me like I don't think he's one of these coaches who's just you know placed and saying all the wrong things and not really going about I think he's trying to do what is best for Michigan State I think he's trying to to up the the profile of his program and he has gotten some guys that they would have gotten in the past. It's just a rough go of it right now. And I think that maybe it's too soon um, to punt completely on his tenure there, but let's hope that Michigan state shows us something this year that, you know, maybe we're not seeing right now. Yeah. And, and there's also been a lot of staffing turnover. There's a lot of yeah. questions again, more yep. questions than answers right now. Another place that has more questions than answers on a much more serious scale is Northwestern, you know, mentioned this off the top, but, we have not heard directly from anyone representing Northwestern. Uh, President Michael Schill has li- released many statements. He has not had a press conference. Uh, Derek Gregg, the athletic director, has not had a press conference. Um, we have obviously been on our uh, podcast hiatus, so we have not really discussed what's been going on at Northwestern yet. And I, I want to, I'll, I'll give you kind of the the 30,000 foot view of all of this, Ari, and we can get into this a little bit as well. Um, but the the latest, you know, certainly, obviously, Pat Fitzgerald is, is no longer the head coach. That was the big headline out of all of this. But there continues to be more and more lawsuits. We had the first non-football lawsuit filed earlier this week, a volleyball player um, alleging a hazing incident that was reported um, and then, you know, kind of covered up, the, you know, earlier uh, before we recorded this, got a statement from the university spokesperson um, talking about uh, that the head coach of the volleyball program was removed for, for a time and that this was taken seriously, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there are going to be more lawsuits. We've heard from different sets of lawyers that are alleging a lot of different things uh, in misconduct. So there's the hazing in the football program, um, cultural issues that they're claiming within the athletic department, which is part of the reason that you're seeing other people looped into these lawsuits, including Jim Phillips, the former Northwestern AD and the current commissioner of the ACC, who has defended himself um, and said that he um, you know, does not condone hazing and et cetera, et cetera, in a statement last week. And then you had the president, uh, Michael Schill. He spoke to the Daily Northwestern, who really kind of broke open the whole story. I mean, we knew that there was a hazing investigation, but the day after Northwestern came out and said that it was going to be a two-week suspension for Fitz, they came out with the details from the whistleblower and all the information that was in the report uh, about the actual hazing activities and uh, the fallout from that. And that really pushed this to a different level. So the president, uh, President Schill, told the Daily Northwestern that Derek Gregg, the athletic director, his job is safe. He's with him. And he also said basically, and this is what is crazy about this whole story. He basically said that he got a a, a summary of the report, but didn't have all the testimonies, like the raw information from the investigation. And that's how he decided to do a two-week suspension. And then he spent that weekend reading the Daily Northwestern, reading the testimonies, rereading the report, and realized that he had erred in focusing too much on whether Fitz knew or didn't know what was happening instead of who should be responsible for a culture that allows this stuff to happen. So that's the latest. Like, it is not going away. This is going to continue to be a story. Fitz is so far the only person in the football program, tied to the football program, who has lost his job. 
all the assistant coaches are still employed. No players have been kicked off the team, even though, again, in the report, it said that 11 current or former players corroborated the hazing incidents. And it's prompted, Ari, it's prompted a, a larger conversation, really, about hazing. What is hazing? What is team mm-hmm. building? What is the line? What what else is going on in so many other places that really doesn't have a place in 2023? And, you know, talking to a number of different former football players, um, it feels like the line was pretty clearly crossed here because it got sexual in nature. Like there was just like sexual misconduct and and maybe mm-hmm. um, sexual harassment, maybe sexual assault, you know, depending on exactly what happened. That's a line that's crossed. And, and it, it's interesting to think about, you know, what would be acceptable for team building or what is normal, you know, quote unquote hazing, right? Like, oh, the freshmen carry the equipment bags, right? Like no one has an issue with that, but it's things that are like degrading, that are sexual in nature, that are um, to humiliate others, you know, like carrying equipment bags is in humiliation. Like that's where so much of this is wrong. And I really have a lot of questions again about who is accountable who knew what, what was reported? Were there things reported to the athletic department in different ways? I would like to see that full report, which they've said they're not going to make public. Like I have a lot of questions about process and other administrators, other responsibility. But I also think that the conversation around hazing and team building is also a really fascinating offshoot of all of this. But again, Mm -hmm. no one's answered questions. There's not been a press conference about this. But My main thing here, Ari, is I just don't think this is going away. I think this is going to continue to be a conversation. The lawsuits will keep it in the news. And I I do think that other coaches in other places are probably going to be thinking about all of this. A, what do you know? How are your players? You know, what are the upperclassmen doing with the with the new guys? And, And what do you know about it? What is your accountability for the culture that is beneath you? What is systemic? What is tradition? I think these are all macro big picture questions that are being asked everywhere right now. Yeah, no, I'm with you on all that. Um, um, and the one thing that I've learned in my journalism career so far, Nicole, is that something happens, the head coach is responsible, the thing doesn't go away. And then the questions of, well, who else knew who was involved in this? Uh, what actually occurred are people who were responsible for this still on the team or there are other assistants that knew like, this is something that like, isn't just, oh, well, Fitz is fired. It's gone. Like, this is like, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered across the board about, you know, eradicating the cause of this from the roster that isn't only the head coach. Um, So that, to me, I think will be an interesting dynamic. I also feel for the people who weren't involved who have to go bear the brunt of this in Chicago. You know, like I, yeah. you know, you have to sit there and talk about, you know you know, what happened here. And if you weren't involved in it or didn't even know about it, like it's a big roster, 85 people's a lot. Um, it's just a tough situation. So, you know, the one thing I know for sure is that if you get into a, a situation where there's sexual misconduct um, and you're the head coach, regardless of whether or not you knew um, it's your job um, to create a culture where that's not something that happens, you know, it's just being the head coach of a, of a college football program is being a CEO of a company and a corporation. You're in charge of the coaches. You're in charge of the, the employees um, and the players and all the things that go, uh, you know, around uh, and around with the college football program. So it's a very interesting situation. It's certainly serious. Um, I know there've been jokes about it because, you know, uh, you know, growing up in locker rooms and, you know, doing things with, 
your teammates and stuff like that when you you were in the 80s and 90s or 70s, you know, when, when you were growing up. Like, it's just not the same time. You know what I mean? And and none of that stuff is, is something that, you know, can exist anymore. Um, and that's it. So we're, we're going to find out more about it. This isn't going away, like you said. And I think it's just going to be an ongoing discussion as more information comes to the surface. Yeah. And I think as well with presidential and athletic director levels as well. If you're saying the head coach is responsible for what happens mm-hmm. within their program, I would think the same would apply to an athletic department in a school as a whole, even if these these folks are relatively new. So And the whole thing seems to just be mismanaged. Too. Oh, absolutely. Like, so like that I, to me, yeah. I mean, I don't understand how, you know, you can have information decide that a two week suspension in the off season is appropriate and then go from that to firing someone. And obviously Fitz and his lawyers don't understand that either, but I I don't get that. I think that is um, again, you know, what was the level of detail you were applying to a very serious situation? Also, I probably wouldn't tell the student newspaper that broke great journalism, by the way, the student newspaper, Um, a lot of the stories there that you didn't read the whole thing like that is, that was kind of, I read well, that. And, I, was like, and I wouldn't have you, said that. Yeah. yeah. And if you're just I saying, like, well, I didn't, I didn't see the testimony. I saw, you know, a, a raw summary, executive summary. Ow. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's your job to read these things. Yeah. Like, this yes. is the biggest decision that you're, you're probably gonna have to make. Yeah. going to make. Yeah. And yeah. you ended up firing the person who was synonymous with this football program and the school. And to to say that, you know, for whatever reason, you didn't have as much information and read it that you possibly could have is astounding to me. So I will be covering this from media days. So I'll be writing. You can find the latest on the athletic as, as those do have to address it. Um, and again, David Braun tough, put in a really tough position, Mm -hmm. hired this off season and now going to be leading this program through a very challenging time. Um, I, I do want to go back to some, we'll end on a lighter note and, and a football note. We are going to do rapid fire season superlatives and predictions, I will let you go first on each of them. So Ari, breakout team. Interesting. Breakout team. Okay. Well, that's the thing that I think, you know what? I'm just going to do it. Nebraska. I think that they are going to have a much better year than people think. I think Matt Rule's infusion of competence with a roster that's above board uh, from an average talent perspective on that side of the roster is an equation for a much better football year than you guys are thinking it could be. Crazy? You you got like a shocked look on your face. Well, I'm with you on like the Colorado game and certain things, but I mean – it's it's been a rough stretch. I'm but what's a breakout in, I, team mean? Like it can't because like Wisconsin's already good. Well, so like I just I like, wanted to pick. I want to pick Wisconsin, but I think they were picked in the preseason media poll <laughs> to win and the I West. Wanted, and I wanted to win pick Penn State, but I just don't think they're going to do it. I think they're going to be. I think they're going to be a really good football team. I think they're going to be a two loss team though. So it's like what's the breakout team to me means making the playoff or winning the Big Ten. So I just like I want to. Penn State, I want to like give you my flowers. I think you're going to be awesome. I cannot wait to to watch you play, but I can't in good faith predict that you're going to actually do it until you and we'll talk about it when you do it. I'm not going to say you are beforehand. I I'm going to say Wisconsin despite um that they are predicted to be good and they usually are good because it's still a first year head coach. It's still an entirely different okay. scheme and system. So I'm going to couch it that way. All right, give me your player of the year. Uh Marvin Harrison Jr. I think will be there's only one other player that comes to mind when I think of who is the best player in college football, and that's Harold Perkins from LSU. I don't think anybody touches him um, in comparison to like just how well you play your position. I completely agree. I think Martin Harrison was the best non-quarterback in the country last year. I 
literally thought about drafting him with the number one overall pick in our Heisman draft because I love him so much and I want to root for him. But I think that this is typically and always is this is a sport where quarterbacks win awards. So I'm going to take J.J. McCarthy here because I also think that Michigan is the best version of Michigan that we've seen. And I think he is going to take that step. Like They are going to have a vertical passing game with a deep threat, and that will change, again, I think their ceiling. But I think we'll see that growth from him. So I will take uh, J.J. McCarthy to be my Big Ten Player of the Year. Give me your Coach of the Year. See, I really kind of painted myself in the corner here because by picking Nebraska to be the yep, breakout yep, team, yep, yep. I kind of have to pick Matt Rule. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think – like, Luke Fickle kind of jumps to mind. Um, you know what? I'm going Luke Fickle because – even if they're not a breakout team, they still could be really good. And like the trend, I'm going Luke Fickle. I, I think I can. Can you, does that math check out in your brain? No, because, but Ari, you know, you're the kind of person I admired this about you that you will make an opinion. And then if you're proven wrong, like five minutes later, you still stand by making that opinion and that yeah. prediction. So I think, you know, you can have these contradictory takes. I, let me, I'll flip with you. We'll, we'll have each other's back on this. I'll take Okay, Matt Yeah. So okay. I think I don't I'm not as high on Nebraska, but I do think that we will see significant steps forward because Matt Rule just really knows how to connect with people. Like, and, and is he going to have to have his team in the Big Ten? Is he going to have to have no, them in the no. Big Ten championship to win this award? Because no, no. like that. So like no. that's always the, the tricky part of because the best coaches never win the award. That's the I think like Jim Tressel never won it in like ten years or something. Right. Like that was, yeah. Did, like the, Urban Urban never did either. Right. I don't know if he did or not. I can't remember. But um, no, I I think that's why I think even if Nebraska wins six games, like he could be in the running. Right. Like it's it's yeah. about like what we see and it's subjective. So I, I think those like, are I, both I could candidates. Pick Jim Harbaugh to win Coach of the Year because the next one's conference champion, and I have Michigan as the conference champion. And if Michigan is like the best version of Michigan and wins the big 10 um, and beats Ohio state again, like Jim Harbaugh should be, we should throw him a parade. Like that would be, I think the second best build in college football, the last 15 years behind what Dabo did at Clemson. Like that to me is like the territory that we're, we're kind of encroaching on right now with Jim Harbaugh. Okay. So I'm with you also. My conference champion pick is Michigan and it's really interesting as I'm about to hop in a car and get to Indianapolis for media days, because last year, this time of the year, Michigan had just won the big 10, but it felt like that didn't happen. It felt like Ohio state was the defending champs because of the way people talked about them, the way that the vibe was at media days, the questions that were being asked. I don't think it's going to feel that way now that Michigan's beat Ohio state two years in a row. And now that we see what this roster looks like, that there don't appear to be weaknesses, that you are expecting that next step from J.J. McCarthy. You've got two of the best running backs in the country. You know, there's just all of those pieces. So I think that the respect will be given, and I think that it will feel that way. And I do believe that Michigan will win the Big Ten again. Ari, any last-minute big season preview takes? Um, The Cleveland.com unofficial poll that my buddy Doug Maurice does because the Big Ten doesn't do it. Um, anymore. Michigan was by far the favorite um, with the media poll. So I do think that there is a different temperament around this year. And when you go, you'll have to see for yourself. But I do think that there is a different thought process this year going into the year of like, they've done it two years in a row now and they didn't Mm -hmm. just do it kind of by fluke wins. They kicked the crap out of them. 
and their team is mostly back and they killed it in the transfer portal and JJ McCarthy could be a top 10 draft pick next year. Like that to me, like it's not, this isn't a fluke anymore. This is like, can Ohio state win? You know, like that is so, yeah, I'm excited about that. And listen, I covered the big 10 football for the first 12 years of my professional career. Um, you know, lived in Columbus and, you know, you know, you know my background, but it is genuinely exciting because like everybody, like it's funny because in this new podcaster role, I get accused of being an SEC homer all the time. And it's like not anywhere near my background. I am as south as Toronto. Um, but I do think that if there are three of the top six teams in the country in the Big Ten, that would be an awesome uh, send off to this awesome, I think right now, perfect I think college football is perfect right now. Fourteen playoff, the conferences just stop, but it'll be a nice send off to the the new world of college football, and I'm excited to see it. You know, go. We have lots more we will get into. Uh, Ari and I will again. We, this isn't the last Big Ten conversation we will have before the season starts, but uh, it is a lot of questions that we need to answer either on the play or at media days. So uh, wanted to thank you all for tuning in to until Saturday. Be sure you're following the podcast on Apple, wherever you listen to podcasts so that you will be notified when new episodes are up. We always appreciate a five-star review. And if you would also please subscribe to until Saturday on YouTube, you'll be updated when new videos publish. And we also go live every Saturday throughout the season. And remember you can't spell until Saturday without us. We will talk to you tomorrow. That's Ari Wasserman. I'm Nicole Auerbach. See you again soon.